0: It's a happy New Year! I hope you all had a great break over the Christmas. If you're like me, you need a holiday now. Is that right? Anyone else in that place feel like, man, I need a holiday. Yeah, yeah. It's been great. You know, we've been seeing family. We've been off to Edinburgh to see my parents. I spent Christmas there. They we went to Glasgow and spent time with my sister and her six children in this four bedroom house. It's remarkable. Um, but it's great fun. we got a snow day there. So we had four inches of snow which was just phenomenal going out and, and enjoying that. And, um, and also, we had my brother over from Australia. Uh, I haven't seen him in four years. So he was here for a couple of days in Liverpool with his wife and two kids. They'd not met Ollie before, so it was great for them to meet him. And um, it was just a great family time. Um, and a couple of the favorite toys I'm thinking of is Christmas presents. Our kids got introduced to Boggle. There was a blast from the past. So they're getting into that. I don't know if you know the word game. But my kids are absolutely loving it, and, and they're going to be beating us within, say, within a couple of months, something like that. Um, and the other one that we got was a a dance game. Another favorite for the family was a dance game on the Xbox. And so basically, you have to follow these dancers. So they have me, and, and they film it as well. So you get filmed on TV. I'm like, can you just delete that? Um, but there you are having to follow these dancers like this, and they're far better than, than we are. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I hope you've enjoyed your Christmas. I hope you've got some great things and got some good memories with family. But it is one of those times, isn't it? We start the year and it's a time of reflection. And it's a time of looking back and saying, wow, Lord, what have you done? And I just, as I was thinking about this, um, just think about some of the amazing things that God has done through Freedom Church in this last year. Even the very recent, over this break, I don't know how many of you enjoyed just those words going out daily that Matt put together for us. Weren't they ever so helpful? Just feeding on him. Just again, thinking about him. Did you enjoy those? Those open houses that people put on over the Christmas period. I've heard such good things about. Okay. Actually, people being able to go and enjoying time with people over that Christmas break. But just looking at some of the things as a church, we, um, we've had three baptisms. In 2017, um, I believe there's sort of three salvations that have happened off the Alpha course here recently, um, is what I've been told. <coughs> I think some of the other things I'm really pleased about and blessed as we look at the year was an increased appetite and practice practicing a prayer together. Have you noticed that? God does something as we push into him in prayer. Okay, and just seeing us as a church rise to that, seeing numbers increasing coming to our monthly prayer meetings to the point where we've had to move out of our home. No longer is it in our home on an evening because we can't fit everybody in. What a great place to be in. I think many amazing answers to prayer would be another thing that I would look at and go, wow, we've seen Ian in his cancer and just just that of God being ever so faithful. We've seen legs growing on the streets. Have we gone out and we've reached out to people? We've seen serious health conditions disappear or improve dramatically. Our church weekends is always a highlight for the year. And just that fellowship and fun together, um, of enjoying time <laughs> together. I think our Call of Stones outreach in the park over the summer, that event there was bigger than we've done before. Um, we had people again contacting us saying, when is this going to happen? We want to be there. We want to enjoy it. We're actually becoming known around the city for this event. And people are inquiring for us. And what was even better this year, I thought, was having other churches asking, "Can can we join you in this? And so we actually had a lot of frontliners coming and serving with us as we served the city in that event. Baby Basics, Liverpool. That has had... The most baskets come out this year ever. We've had a hundred baskets. We've reached a hundred baskets this year as we sent out to vulnerable mothers, families who need that resource. And again, we want to thank Heidi, can't see her here today, and Barbara, who also served so diligently uh, in those areas. I want to thank you as well for just the resources that you bought. As God's given you, you given them back. Okay, you keep faithfully bringing stuff so our baby basic stand here so that we can serve this city. We can serve these vulnerable women. The Alpha course was brilliant. This was definitely one of my highlights even though we weren't leading it. In fact, that was one of the highlights. The fact that we weren't leading the Alpha course. We had other people outside of the leadership team leading our Alpha course. We saw over 12 people come and join us at the Alpha course. We've been able to Financially support. Lots of charities this year. Charities like the Big Help Project. Charities like Open Doors and Home for Goods, Haven't we? We've been able to give and serve into those areas. Invest in those areas. I think our Christmas service. Did you enjoy that? It was amazing to be seating 150 people down for hog roast. Having to put out another table because we didn't have enough. It was a great time of actually many guests. In fact, when we looked at the amount of guests that were there that, that Sunday, it was remarkable. It was exactly what the event is designed to do, is to bring in guests so they can hear the gospel, they can see us as a family and what it's all about. And the comments that, as I spoke to people and they said, there's something here, there's a love here amongst the family, amongst this church that i have not seen There's a welcome that I'm receiving here as I come into this church that I have not seen anywhere else. Those were the comments that I was receiving from people as I spoke to them about how they found that event. Do you know we've seen growth, haven't we, as a church on a Sunday morning? We've seen growth in our kids' work groups. We've seen growth in our life groups as we've again had to bring another group um, into life there. I think one of the key things for me would be service. Okay, one of the things I'm so thankful for as I look back at twenty seven, this has felt like one of the biggest areas of growth for us as a church. We talked about as a leadership team, but actually it's been amazing, as I've mentioned, to see the Alpha Course served by a team that is not the leadership team at all. And hearing such positive reviews, seeing salvation come. The Christmas service was served by so many of you. You know, having the decor done, having the kids' goodies bags done, having um, having the food done by others. And because, as a church, we have a commitment to serving this city, we have a commitment to serving those who come, who God gives us faithfully, I was thinking about it. When we've got the Alpha course on, it actually takes, I've worked out 23 to 25 people every morning it was taken to serve the different areas on a Sunday morning. That's fast. I think this is an area where God has really increased us as a church in this last year. Service. But you know what? There's much more to go. Lots of our groups are in a place of feeling like they're stretched, like there is plenty of space to have people added into them. So if you're not serving and you want to serve, come and see us. There's space on the team, coffee rota there. There's space in the kids' work. There's space in the setup and the pack-down teams. There's loads of areas for you to take part in Freedom Church. I think just regularly outreaching onto the streets has been actually one of my favourite things to see. To see people who are regulars down on Allerton High Street coming and saying hello again. To see people actually, you and Jesus loves, giving their lives. Have we seen them come and add it to the church? No. Have we seen them make a commitment to Christ on the street? Yes. I don't know from God's perspective what that was, whether that was a full heart commitment, but I'm trusting it was. And I'm trusting that they will end up in a church where they can become a body, part of a body. That has been another exciting part. It's going to be another part where we're going to continue this year to reach out onto the streets. And I think also just seeing how us as a community have grown in love, for one another, how we've been able to support each other through the many trials that we faced has been, for me, actually the major highlight. And it always is. I've just seen how, as a church, we are able to stand with. How, actually, we are a community that looks different to the world, that is attractive to the world. And so these are some of the things that, as we look at 2017, I am so pleased by. And, you know, normally... I would I would look back and i remind us where God's brought us. So the first Sunday of the year is always pretty much a vision Sunday. okay? And I would talk about the vision of, and here's our vision on these banners, if you don't know, loving God, that being the central key theme. Nothing can happen without us growing more in love with God. I would talk about us loving one another, loving Liverpool and loving the nations. Last year I spoke about the church being the hope of the world. I want to say to you this year, if you're visiting, if you're here with family, I'm not going to be speaking. If you're new to us, I'm not going to be speaking about our vision this morning. Simply because as a family, as Freedom Church, we're going through something at the minute. It was when I woke up to a text message at 6am on the 14th of December. It's a text me- message I will never forget. A text message was from Guy and Lauren letting us know about their precious baby girl, Phoebe. How she had died just three days before entering into the world. And I want to say I know many of you have been praying for them. And supporting Guy and Lauren through this absolute loss, this tragedy. But I want to say to you guys, we are absolutely amazed at your courage. The courage to be here this morning and be with the family here. And personally, I'm absolutely just undone by the way that you guys have postured yourself in God at this time. In a time when most of us actually have would have nothing to give, when I've been with these guys, they have just given so much. They've been given out, thinking of others. They've been proclaiming their faith in God and their trust in him. They've been encouraging us as a body throughout this tragic time. And it's been amazing to be able to sit with them and to listen to the way that they have been able to start to process some of that deep loss and that pain as they've just been able to weep. It's been amazing as they've just been able to laugh as well. And as I thought about what we do at the beginning of this year, this next Vision Talk, I honestly, I just thought it would be absolutely remiss of me to, to do so in light of what we are experiencing as a family. I just want to say if you haven't heard the Vision, you can go to the website and you can listen to any of those talks on the website. They're all there. Okay? But today... I want to focus on a few questions for us. I want us to just stop as a family and think about what has just happened here. Think about this loss. Think about grief. Because actually, it's something that all of us will face. All of us will face in our lifetime, this idea of loss and grief. Now, the loss that guy and Lauren are facing is what most of us will never have to experience. But for others, your loss might be might be the loss of a loved one. It might be a parent or a, um, a spouse. It might be a cancer diagnosis. It might be a relationship breakdown that you're facing. It might be a job loss for you. It might be an unfulfilled dream. It might be a, a disability in a child. It might be the inability to do what you once did. It might be crime or violence or abuse that was committed against you. These are all the sorts of things that we will have to face in our lifetimes. And I think all of us would agree that actually, when we try (laughs) and understand what has gone on, when we try and understand some of these difficult situations of loss, you know, when I heard about Nick, Nick's brother, Matt, And he's drowning in Greece. It threw me. It threw me. And it made me start to wrestle with God. Just as when I heard about Phoebe, it shook me. And I came to God. And I started to wrestle with him. And I guess we start to ask that question of why. It's a natural instinct that comes from us, isn't it? As human beings, we start to ask that question of why, Lords. And this Christmas has been full of wrestling with that question of why for for us. And so, I want to firstly address just very quickly and briefly what is, I think, categorically the biggest objection to Christianity on the face of the planet but also a question that undoubtedly we will ask ourselves, our friends will ask this question, our colleagues will ask this question, our family (coughs) will ask this question of why. How can an all-powerful, all-loving God possibly allow suffering? Have you asked that question? Have you been in that place? Well you've got on your knees, you said, Lord, why? I think the short answer, and I said I'm going to be very brief on this, the short answer to this question, and it's important because you're going to be faced with people all around you who face this question. And the answer to this is highly, highly important. I believe the answer to it mostly is we don't know. We don't know. It's very, it's very, very important that this is the answer. You know, why did this earthquake happen? We don't know. Why did that person die? We just don't know. Why did that person get cancer? We just don't know. As a child, I, and even as a young adult, and even sometimes now, I love to have the answers. I love to feel like I've got an answer. I feel like I'm floundering without it. And so we want to be able to give that answer. And to say, I don't know, is actually really quite difficult. Do you know, there are lots of approaches out there that come from the one answer to this question that we can give to everyone, no matter what in this situation. Lots of people try and answer this question with one answer. For some, they would say, suffering happens because people have choices. Do you know that is why some suffering happens? But I want to say, certainly not the only answer. Human beings have free choices, don't we? We can cause pain to others, (coughs) but there are many ways that have nothing to do with human choices. Many ways of suffering that have nothing to do with human choices. Physical laws exist, don't they? If you were to go out and you were to stand on top of this building and jump off, you would hurt yourself. You might even kill yourself. And some people would say, well, it's to do with physical laws. If you go outside of the physical laws, that's why suffering happens. And you know, it accounts for some suffering, but certainly by no means all of them. You know, physical laws are evenly distributed, and yet some of us experience and suffer far more pain than others. So it doesn't make any sense. Some would say suffering happens to prepare our souls and our character for eternity. And of course, do you know what? There's actually a degree of truth in that. The Bible does actually say that suffering produces perseverance and a character and a hope, doesn't it? But that's not enough. That is not enough of an answer to cover all of the suffering that we face. And as I look at that answer... There are a lot of people with very deficient character who don't suffer at all. And there are a lot of people with great, good, godly character who suffer much. And so if we're looking at this idea that God brings it about so that we're ready for this, it doesn't make any sense. Do you follow that? Another people, another answer people give is that suffering is a consequence of sin. And again, there's some truth in this argument Do you know, some of you have suffered because of your own sin or because of those who sin around you. That is undoubtedly true in this hall right now. (coughs) Some of you have suffered in that way. But you know what? There's a lot of good people out there who suffer and a lot of bad people who don't. So to say it's all a result of sin just makes it simply far too simple. And you know, when you read scriptures, when you study it, you realize it doesn't do this. It doesn't just tell you this is the one reason for all suffering. In fact, when you read scriptures and you look at it, scripture provides us with some very rich perspectives on the problem of suffering and humanity and evil. But it never says that suffering is because of all of this one thing. In fact, there's a book in the Bible that's essentially all about suffering. And its main punchline is essentially, listen, don't try and explain all of suffering with one answer. Because you just don't know what the answer is. That book is Job. And we see in Job's life, he is a good, godly man. And he loses everything in a very short period of time. And his friends try and explain to him why that is happening to him. And at the end of the book, God essentially says, no, no. You don't understand. Don't try and give answers to things that you don't understand. <coughs> and you know, this is this answer is not a cop-out. It's not deficient, actually, to say, we don't know why. That's not going to put God at any risk to say, we don't know why this happens. What I find interesting this year, as I look back, as God has led us to look at many facets of him and his words. But it's amazing to look at some of the themes we've covered. You know, this year we've covered Psalm 23, looking at him as the good shepherd, how he walks us through very dark, very troubled times. We've looked at Christmas cover in Ecclesiastes 3, looking at how there are seasons for feeling different things, seasons for grieving, seasons for rejoicing in him. Matt covered in our emotional health series, In part four, um, he covered that idea of how we handle it from an emotional perspective, okay? How we handle grief, um, how we don't just ignore it, how we actually face it, how we actually don't substitute it for other things. And then finally, we had Dave Holden with us on the 10th of December, just the week before uh, our carol service. And he spoke on hope and... His message was just phenomenal. I don't know if you felt that. It was a phenomenal message. Really blessed us. How we live in this hope. How we make him, he's he's a God of hope, not just a God who is hopeful. That was his message. He is a God of hope, not just a God who is hopeful. And how actually it's about us remaining in him, it's about us being filled by his spirit, and it's about us living out his promises. That's how we live in the hope that God has given us. And I want to end today by looking at one story from the Bible, from John's Gospel, where we see how Jesus responds to grief. Where we see the character of God incarnate and how he responds to us in our grief. And I think this is just so important. And this story is about Lazarus and his two sisters. Who remembers Lazarus' sisters? Mary and Martha. Martha. And you know what? They were this tight-knit family. And they were genuinely good friends and disciples of Jesus. Okay, They lived in a little town called Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus would often pop in and out on his way past, um, just with some friends. And Martha would get some food ready for them. And Jesus would come and he would sit and he would teach them. And he'd spend time with them. And actually, he, he wanted to spend time with them. There was a relationship here that Jesus had with them. And we're not going to read the whole story because it's a massive chapter this one. Um, but we are just going to look at how Jesus responds to grief. Um, so just to give you a bit of background. Lazarus, their brother, is sick. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that he's sick. And they send word for him to come speedily because he's really sick. And um They have faith that when Jesus comes, he can heal Lazarus. And Jesus gets word, but he realizes that God wants to bring glory in this situation. And it says he actually waits for two more days before leaving where he's at. He waits there. And then he lets the disciples know before he goes. He basically says, listen, Lazarus is dead, but we're going to go and wake him from his sleep. That's what I'm going to do. That's what God is going to do here. And we're touching base here at verse 17. Um, if you've got that, on the screen. It says this. and It's where Jesus is greeted by Martha. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. (coughs) Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. I just want to pick out three very quick things about this passage that we can look at in our grief who God is, what he does. The first one. When life hurts, God hurts with us. You know, some of us may feel that God is a God who doesn't have emotions. But I think as we look at Scripture in its fullness, we can see that God experiences a full range of emotions. It's not that he has mood swings like you and I. Aren't you thankful for that? he's very consistent in his character. And in fact, the important thing I think here is that he engages with us, his people. We see in verse 33, don't we, that he was deeply moved and troubled as he saw Mary weeping. And this is strong language. This is to actually show us the extent of his emotion. And then we get the shortest verse in the entire English Bible here. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Those two words, if you just stop and you think about it, it's absolutely amazing. Here he is, Jesus, the Son of God, who in Hebrews tells us, says verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is the exact representation of God's. That's who this man, Jesus, is. The exact representation of God's. So in John 14, when Jesus says, when you see me, you see the Father. This is God's Almighty, God incarnate is weeping. Here, just think about that. The God who is over all things, who speaks things into being, is weeping. Why? Why is He weeping? Is it because Lazarus has died? Is it because he's lost a really good friend? Actually, verse 23, you follow it says, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the the life. Jesus knows how this encounter is going to end, he knows what power he's going to display on this day. He already knows. He's waited specifically because he knows God wants to bring his glory that day. So I want to suggest, he's not weeping out of loss. He's weeping and grieving because he can see his friends weeping and grieving. He can see his good friends weeping and grieving. And it's when he sees those he loves, grieving, that he weeps. This is the absolute heart of God Almighty. In our places of hurt and pain, he is with you. He's not standing at a detached distance, watching on. This story is ever so helpful. It helps us to see how Jesus chose to enter into grief. He chose to enter into their grief with both Mary and Martha. Not aloof, (coughs) not detached, not unemotional. He chose to enter into their grief. So the first thing, God hurts with us. He feels our pain and our hurt, our loss, our sadness. In that situation that we're in. Secondly, I want to say he draws near to us. Psalm 34 said the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147 says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That there is the very heart of God. The nearness and the presence of God is what he guarantees in this situation. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, And it's this nearness, this presence that we need, isn't it? He is our lifeline. And we see the reaction, actually. If you look at the reaction of Mary and Martha here, what do they do? Actually, there's a sense of them starting to blame Jesus. Have you noticed that? And when we're grieving, we go through all sorts of emotions and reactions. You know, sorrow, anger, weeping, sadness, loss. And I want to say this, God loves our honesty. And these sisters have been waiting for him to appear. They've asked him, come, Lord, and he's too late. And they can't get over the fact that he's just too late. If you ever felt like that? Where are you, lords? just came too late. That's what they're feeling right there in the grip of that grief. And you know, Jesus could have got very offended by their response of both women. Because it is almost as if they're putting some of the blame on him. And he could have withdrawn. Not quite know how to handle these women. But instead, what does he do? He draws near to them. He's super gracious with them. Have you noticed that? He's absolutely super gracious with them. We see it from the Psalms, don't we? We see that God wants our honesty. We see the Psalmist being absolutely shouting at God and calling and saying, Lord, why? Why? No matter how we're feeling, I want to say this, the priority is to come to him. I think that's was what's was really important in this story. Priority is to come to him as he draws near to us. He's not going to be offended by you having a rant at him, by you being angry. He presences, he presences himself with us in our pain, in our anger. He presences himself with us. I know when I was diagnosed, um, quite some years ago, with ill health. Any of you have heard this story. Um, but on the day that I was diagnosed, I was given two, two possible diagnoses. One was aplastic anemia, and the other one was myelodysplastic syndrome. I spent the entire day at hospital having all these blood tests, not quite knowing what was going on. They'd done this test to basically tell me I didn't have leukaemia, but it was something quite similar. And I came home, and I was just I just wanted to shut down. And my mum had gone off and looked at the internet, which in those days was pretty slow. She was gone for about an hour, and she said, I'm thinking he's going to have a look at this. And I came upstairs, and I looked at these two conditions that they said, we, we know it's one of these two, but we've got to do some tests, which are going to take longer to find out. And um, I looked at it, and my syndrome seemed to be some kind of incurable cancer at the time. That's what it was telling me online. And aplastic anemia, it said you've got 18 months to live. And I heard anemia in the hospital and thought, great, I'll take some iron tablets. And I'll be fine. And I just thought, wow, there's no good option here. This is them telling me I'm going to die. I remember going to bed that night. I couldn't sleep. And I got up and I just cried as I came to him. And I didn't know what to do. And I remember opening my Bible. I didn't know where to turn to. And by the grace of God, I opened it up at Philippians 4. The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, and God just met me. He just came with a power. He presents himself with me in that absolute, utter panic, in that place of just feeling, This is it. Why? What, what's, got, what's happened? My life's turned around in a day. It's gone from feeling really normal to, This is the end. And the peace of God, His peace, his Shalom, came and presenced himself with me. tangibly, just knowing His peace, I was able to go to bed that night and sleep. I actually got sleep, because God came to me. He wasn't distant, He wasn't aloof. He entered in to my pain, to my fears. And he came and he presents himself with me and he brought his peace with him. And I know from sitting with Guy and Lauren just days after the death of Phoebe, was exactly the same for them. Just hearing Lauren talking about God's manifest presence with them. His promise is he is close to the brokenhearted, <coughs> and he will presence himself in our pain. Do you know, sometimes when people are grieving or giving bad news, and we just don't know how to react, do we? Often, we don't know how to react. And I know when I was diagnosed with this health condition, many close friends that I had seemed to just fall off the radar. And you know, it wasn't because they didn't care for me. It wasn't because they'd somehow just fallen out with me. But it was that dilemma of not knowing what to say or what they could do at that time for me. And there was an awkwardness for some. And their natural tendency in that awkwardness for most of us is to actually withdraw, isn't it? That's what we do, we just withdraw. I, I, I don't want to actually cause any more pain or suffering for or put my foot in it with that person. So I'm just going to withdraw. I want to say, God is not like that in the slightest. If you think about it, What we need most when we're grieving, it's not the answers. We don't need some kind of answers. It was him presencing himself with me. It was God. It was friends around us, just to hug us, just to hear us, just to listen. It's what we need in those times. And that is what deep relationship looks like. For Mary and Martha, Jesus came and he present himself with them. And I want to say to you, God comes to us and He presents Himself with us. And obviously, we know God dwells in us, don't we? He lives in us. But there's something that happens in these moments of grief and fear where the tangibility of God just increases. Where we may hear His voice, we may know his touch in a way that we maybe haven't felt before. So we know that God feels, he partakes, he experiences in our pain and he draws close to us. And finally, I want to say this, God brings us hope in our despair. God brings us hope in our despair. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who (laughs) believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do You know, when the subject of resurrection was first brought up by Jesus, Martha thought that Jesus was simply talking about uh, the Jewish doctrine that at the end times they will be resurrected. But actually Jesus is speaking primarily about spiritual resurrection. He's speaking about something for the now for them that he was about to do. In fact, what he did with Lazarus as he raised Lazarus from the dead, this was like the ultimate visual aid to the great teacher, to Jesus, of what he was about to do. Jesus was actually declaring himself as the person of the resurrection. This wasn't about a doctrine in the future that we think, okay, you know, going to be resurrected in the future. He knew, as Ephesians 2 tells us, he knew that these people were spiritually dead. You know, that's what it tells us. The Bible tells us that we are absolutely dead in our sins and our trespasses. And Jesus that day, there's some enacting here that he (coughs) raises Lazarus from total death to life. And it was this, this was physical, physical in its form, but he was speaking about the implications of him as the resurrection. The implication of his resurrection that was only days away. What he does is he brings hope in the midst of suffering. I want to say God not only enters into our grief, he not only draws near to us, he also brings great hope through his plan to rescue and restore us. Philippians says this, it says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, to death, even death on a cross. Do you know he defeated the ultimate enemy, death? So that we get to enjoy not just our future hope, because we do have a future hope in glory, that eternal life that we get with him, but it's for the now so that we can know him and that we have been made alive. We've been born again. Right now, we get to enjoy him in a way that they never knew. We have been raised into new life. It's so that we can know our saviour. Jesus took on the full anger and the wrath of God so that we could know him. So that we could joy enjoy him and his resurrection power. So that we could have New life in him. This is the God that we serve people. And Revelation 21 says that he has prepared a place for us. It says this, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I'm going to read that again. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the promise and the hope that we have in the midst of our suffering. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we put our trust, as we believe him, that he is the resurrection and the life, we get life in him. We get to enjoy him. And I want to say this, I want to come back to this original question. We may not be able to answer why God allows suffering, but we read in this verse, and we read it in John 11, that Jesus loves suffering then. Jesus loves us. We see it in every act of redemption that he brings. He loves us with an everlasting love. And I think although we don't know the why, why does God allow that suffering, what we can actually say, we can most definitely say, this has not happened because he doesn't love us. It's really important. Suffering hasn't happened because he doesn't love us. In everything he does, we see his love coming through, don't we? He is truly all-powerful, all-loving as God. I want to end by saying I, I found spending time with Guy and Lauren recently to be some of the most profoundly inspiring times as they have been able to fix their eyes on Jesus at this time. And I want us to do the exact same now. As we listen to a song, it's going to be sung over us and we're also going to be breaking bread and taking communion, which is going to come to us sort of halfway through the song. And it's that chance, again, just to recognise, take into account what God did for us. His body was broken for us. His blood was spilled so that we could enjoy this hope, this resurrection life that he promises for us. He comes with such a hope, doesn't he? So you can stand or you can sit. It's partly you just engaging with him. Wherever you're at, whether you're feeling that grief, that loss or not, at this minute, about reminding who he is. He's the God who wants to draw near to us now. He wants to meet us where we're at. And he wants to bring his hope to us.